I think we instinctively know the answer to that question, especially in the context of that video. You think about the statements that have made in your own life, you can all think back to moments, pivotal, transformative moments when somebody spoke words into your life and for good or for bad, they uh, changed the direction of where things were headed. Uh, Some words completely gave you a different vision for how your life could go. Somebody said something to you at one point in time and you thought, I don't see myself that way. And when they said it, it helped you step into who God created you to be. At some point, somebody said something to you and it destroyed some of the image of God that you bear in your heart and you began to see yourself maybe as less effective, less loving, less caring, less capable, less of who God created you to be. Words received and delivered. I I think we know that they matter. And this question is important because in our culture, we still have a tendency to push toward this idea that, well, they're just, just words. They're just words. You were taught that when you were growing up. Sticks and stones, right? All of this is the deal. You, know, they're just, they're just, you can just ignore what they say. You can just not pay attention to what they're doing to you. You don't have to allow them to define you. All of these kinds of things we say, but words, in fact, have immense power. And this isn't because of culture. It isn't because of society. It isn't because we have a mouth. It isn't created that way just because we've fallen into patterns of words making a difference or words building up or tearing down. It's because that's who God is. Words are really important to God. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it, so let me take you down a path and help you understand why this is and why it matters so much. When... The gospel of John was written when John was led by the Spirit to describe the beginning of the ministry and the life of Jesus. John just didn't start where the other gospel stories start. He went back to the very beginning. In fact, the very first words of his gospel are, say it with me, in the beginning. And so he goes back and he says this, in the beginning was the what? It's an incredible image that John gives us and it gives context to everything that's in scripture because whenever you read scripture, you start by reading what? A word. You grew up in a church and they called it the what? The word. And they make capital W word, but they're also using a word to describe the word. John begins his gospel to tell the story of Jesus from the very beginning and he says in the beginning was the word. And in your Bible, my Bible, it's capitalized. Because of the context, we know that John is telling a story about Jesus. When John is telling the story about Jesus, he calls him a word. That means something. This is the foundation of everything that has ever existed. Do you think I'm overstating it? Well, then John overstated it. Do you think I'm exaggerating a bit? Well, then so did the author of Genesis chapter one. 
Because when John writes this, he's echoing those very same foundational words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Jesus was there from the beginning. He didn't happen when he was born. He was always existing. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. This is the origin story of everything. And this is how John describes it. And then, just a little further down in chapter 1, he explains the very beginning of Jesus, and he says that the Word was made flesh. Now, this Word, Word, is the Greek word logos. Say it with me, logos. If you're at home, you can say it too, right there in your living room. Say logos. Say it with them again so they'll know that you're with them, would you? Say it with us, logos. And this word logos or logos is here in the Greek and it means a word. That's what it means. But it means more than that. It's what's powerful about the Greek language. You know the Greek language has four words for love because we say I love pizza and I love my wife and it doesn't make any sense, right? So, I mean, I really, really love pizza, but I really, really love Donna, right? Two very different things. And so the the Greek language has so much more texture and meaning. And so when the Greek language says word, it doesn't mean just a word that you speak, like the word I just spoke when I said speak. It means the idea behind the word. It means that there is a thought process behind that word before it comes out of my mouth. And that that thought process and the thinking behind it, the heart behind it, the feeling behind it, the reasoning behind it, is what's present when the Greeks say lagos. That is what it means to speak a word. And words can be written, just like this was written long ago. Words can be spoken. Words can be chiseled. Words can be typed. Words can be texted. Words can be emailed, spoken in any way, recorded, played over and over and over again, written in any way, any language, and printed or copied or sent or forwarded or read again and again and again and again. It's the power of words. And this power of words is strong. Which is why he says, as I alluded to earlier, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In fact, this is the whole birth story for John. That one sentence. The word, the logos, the idea of Jesus, who he is, what formed him, this part of God that we want to interact with, that will love us, forgive us, be the sacrifice for us. It all became embodied in one person and John refers to it as the word. The, the full expression, if you've ever wondered who God is, it's Jesus. If you've under, if ever wondered what God would say or do about something, find an interaction in the gospels and that's what God would say or do about that thing. What Jesus says and what Jesus did, this is who God is. It is the fullest expression of everything that God is and it made his dwelling in Jesus, became flesh and blood. 
In fact, if you've ever wondered anything about God, Jesus is the answer. Who he loved, how he forgave, what he said, what he taught, what he instructed. Jesus can get you there. He can help you find your path, which is why the words of Jesus are so important to us, which is why we take the words of Jesus and decide this is what matters, this is how we're gonna live, this is how we wanna pattern our life. Christians means little Christ, literally, and so we wanna be like Jesus in everything we do, things we think, things we feel, things we say, the way we spend our money, the way we forgive, the way we treat other people, everything. It's the power of words. And Jesus, this, this word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us, he had some things to say about words too. In fact, some of his teaching is about words and how we use them. Here, here's what he said. It's interesting. He says this. It's a, it's, a, it's a frightening verse, so just brace yourself, okay? It's going to be okay. Just breathe deep. We'll get through it together. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Can you imagine how long Judgment Day is going to be? Especially if I'm in line behind you, <laughs> right? Oh, you think that's bad. If you were in line behind me, it's going to be worse. For every idle word you speak. Now, see, here's the thing. I think Christians have somehow believed this uh, fictional version of Judgment Day, that everybody else who doesn't know Jesus has to stand up and they get judged and they have to give an account. And, but, but those of us who know Jesus, we, I don't know, we show the card or our stamp, I don't know what it is, but we say, I know Jesus, and they just, we just get a pass. That's not what Scripture says at all. Scripture doesn't say that at all. Scripture is very clear that you will not be condemned, that if you know Jesus... Therefore, there is now no condemnation, Paul writes in Romans 8.1. But over and over, Jesus and the other writers of the New Testament talk about this moment of making an account and judgment. It's true, you will not be condemned. You will be acquitted, not condemned. But Jesus says that you still have to give an account for what you say. Idle. There's a great word there. The, the Greek word really means useless or lazy is probably the best translation. Every lazy word you speak. You ever speak any lazy words? Me too. You know what lazy means, right? I just didn't give it any thought. Are you around anybody that prides themselves in saying something like this? You know, with me, what you see is what you get. Anybody say that? You know anybody? Maybe you've said that. It's okay. It's all right. In fact, I, I don't have a filter. I just say what comes to mind. What that means is, is that we have a habit of speaking idle words. And what you'll notice is people like that, eventually, if you say enough things that just come to your mind without giving it thought or care or gentleness, the people around you don't stay close around you anymore. Why? Because words matter, because they carry weight, because what we say has incredible power, immense power. Jesus goes on to say, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So I'm not looking forward to this, but there's still no condemnation. I'm in Christ, but that does make me stop and think about the account that I will have to give one day. Now, I'll do it within the context of God's love and grace, but that doesn't mean that I get to just not be careful with what I say and how I live. Other writers of Scripture 
describe the same weight of words. In fact, James describes the power of words, and, and when he says it, it just, it's almost like he took the words of Jesus and, and moved them just a little bit further in intensity, and James says it this way. And among all the parts of the body, say it with me, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by what? Hell itself. You didn't even want to say hell. You're in church. You didn't even want to say it. It is set on fire by what? Hell itself. Have you ever said anything that set your whole life on fire? Have you ever texted anything and you thought, oh, isn't there an undo button? Have you ever allowed your words to somebody, someone, someplace, to some subject, some issue to put your life on a course that you wish you could undo? This is what James says, and we, we've all experienced it. The incredible damage and hurt and pain that can be done by words. And so what we say is, you know what, after we experience something like this, you know what, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to shut my mouth. I'm just, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to gossip anymore. I'm not going to say anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And we just shut our mouth for how long? Good 30 seconds maybe. The average, 16,000 words per day. So maybe that day when you decide to really clamp it down, you do what, 12,000? Me too. Usually when I preach, I kind of timed it and did some things to figure it out. I talk about 150 words a minute. By the time I'm done with this message, it will be around 6,000 words. Josh says it will be around 8,000 words. And I'm having to fit in a few more words than necessary because we have a lot to go through. So my guess is Josh is probably more right than I am. But there will be a moment later today or tomorrow when I think of at least one or two things that I said during this message and this feeling of just warm shame will wash over me. And I'll think, did I say that? And, you know, some voice in the back of my head says, yes, you really did. And I wish I hadn't. And the same thing happens to you. Words, they're so strong and powerful. Which is why when Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians, he says this verse that some of you learned when you were growing up, you memorized it, and you might find it familiar. It's packed, Ephesians is, with all of this good stuff. Paul writes this, do not let any, say it with me, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. There was a verse earlier in chapter four that we recommend that you memorize. It was verse two. This is another one. Just commit it to memory. You could do it in about three minutes. You could do it on the way home. You could test each other in the car and at lunch. In fact, let's just say the whole verse together. Are you ready? Let's all say it together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. What Paul said using words was preserved in the written word for you and me today. And this, this statement is designed to shape your values about the words that you say. It's designed to give you a filter. It's designed to keep you from saying things like, well, I just say what comes to mind. Or with me, you just, what you see is what you get. It's designed to help you 
Build character and values so that the words that you speak do the very kinds of things that Paul is describing. Now, if you grew up in church, you know this verse because your youth group leaders used it to teach you not to say certain words. Anybody taught this verse along those lines? Let me see your hands, okay? Uh, In fact, some translations say, you know, do not let any foul language, I think that was written by a youth pastor, come out of your mouths, whatever. But I was taught this because there is a list of words made famous by George Carlin that I'm not supposed to say or use at any point in time. And I was instructed that, that if I can stay away from those certain words and not use them in everyday language, or at least around my parents, then the good thing is that I will be kind of living according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And any sort of theology or, or practice around that understanding of this verse completely misses the whole idea that Paul is trying to get across. This word, unwholesome, it has so much more depth and meaning to it. And what Paul is trying to accomplish in this section of what he's writing, it's, it's so much more powerful than that. So before we're done, let me just walk you through a little bit of what this means. So this, this word, unwholesome, is this word, sapros, it's the Greek word, and it's eight times in our New Testament. It's only used eight different times. And one time, it's used to refer to speech or the things that we say, and it's right here in Ephesians chapter 4. Every other time that it's used in the New Testament, it's used by Jesus when he's teaching One time, Jesus is teaching about some fishermen. He's telling a story of fishermen that catch fish, and they pull them into a net, and then they separate. They separate the good fish from the bad fish, from the sapros. So he says, that's the word. He doesn't say unwholesome in the the parable. He just says the bad fish. And what he means is a fisherman knows. He pulls up a net and he sees, I can get some money for this fish at the market. It's good fish. It's big, it's healthy, strong. But there's this one who's diseased or small or something else that's not good for me as a fisherman, so I'm going to cast him aside. I'm only going to waste my time with a good fish. I'm only going to spend energy there. Every other time that Jesus uses this word, unwholesome translated in Ephesians 4, the Greek word sapros, every other time he uses this word, he's talking about a tree that grows fruit every other time. And he talks about the good fruit that comes from this tree. And then he talks about the bad fruit that comes from the tree. And that bad fruit is sapros. It's not good. It's not good for consumption. You see it. It's probably good for compost or throwing out in the yard or just getting rid of. But it's not something you would take and find delicious and ingest and eat and find it nourishing or helpful. Every other time, that's what Jesus says. So any translation that sort of moves toward vulgar or profane, well, of course those words are included. That's just common sense. But what is Jesus really saying when he uses these words? What is Paul trying to communicate in Ephesians 4? That some of the language that we use, some of the words that we speak, some of the words that we receive from people, well, they're they're sapros. They're not good. And that's anything from rotten, 
ought to be tossed out to just not ready, not helpful, not thought through, not beneficial. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Well, just like that practice when I was growing up of them using this verse to teach me not to cuss, it's never good to take one verse and build a whole life around it. What you need to do is take a verse and look at what's all around it. In fact, this verse, Ephesians 4, 29, it comes in the middle of a section of scripture that is this section. In fact, if you get the e-news, then you saw this section referenced. If you get a chance to read before you come to church, then you come kind of with your pump primed, ready. You've already read the words and you kind of know, man, I wonder what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be these verses, this whole section. And you can tell verse 29 kind of comes in the middle of it. There's these eight verses and the context for Ephesians 4.29 is built around these eight verses. And so I don't want you to miss this. This is so important. Here's why. For the next 10 minutes at the most, I'll talk to you about what Paul's trying to get across here in this section of Ephesians 4. And if you struggle with your mouth, this is going to help. If you struggle with relational tension or, you know, maybe you use another verse out of context and you often speak the truth in love and use it to say hurtful things to people. If you've been on the receiving end of language that has been damaging or, or hurtful to you. What Paul says in these eight verses addresses all of that and we miss it because we focus on one phrase or even one verse. So here's what you know so far. We're going to use it, what you already learned, okay? Ephesians 4, it has this word sapros, which means this is unhelpful, unwholesome, not ready for prime time, not quite ripe, maybe a little less than that language that isn't good to use. And this language is this idea of logos. So let no sapros logos. We know what that means. You know Greek. Let no unwholesome talk. That's the same word that's in Ephesians 4.29, logos. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And you know what logos means. It's not just the word that I speak. It's the heart behind it. It's the, where my mind has been. It's, it's where my heart has been. It's, it's where I am wrapped up in. It's, it's what I've been meditating on. It's where my values are. All of those things are together. It's not just the words I speak. It means so much more than that. And we know what unwholesome means now. And within the context of these two words... When you read the verses around Ephesians 4.29, then you read about a bunch of different ideas that Paul talks about. And you've read these verses before, odds are, and you've seen these words around the verses. Words like anger and slander, have no malice. Be careful if you have unforgiveness. He even says very clearly, forgive one another from your heart. He talks about rage and bitterness. All of these things are a part of this passage about unwholesome talk. Why? Why are they part of this context? When we understand the nature of what is meant by logos, then we ponder these things that are a part of our own life. My anger, my malice, the unforgiveness I hold, rage and bitterness that I walk with. Maybe because of something that was done to me, Maybe because of the way I've been hurt or the way I've been betrayed. 
then we know that unwholesome talk comes out of all of these places, doesn't it? Because it's not just the words I say. It's the soil that these words were rooted in. We find ourselves at times in a conversation with somebody and they poke us and then we unleash something from our mouth. Have you ever been in the middle of a sentence and you thought, I don't have any idea where that even came from? Have you thought that before? Have you ever finished a, just a bit of a rant and then you thought, oh, that's one I'm going to never live down. That's going to come up in six months. I have no idea why I said that. It's because it comes from places like this. Places where we have unresolved bitterness turns into malice. Oh, it just easily becomes slander. This habit of confessing the sins of other people, it's one of our favorite hobbies. The way that we hold anger within our heart. In fact, when you read this whole passage, it's very clear that unwholesome talk comes from all of this, which has its place deep within our heart. So the issue isn't our mouth. I mean, James describes it well. It's the tongue, sure. That's what makes it audible. But the issue is in here, isn't it? And that issue is one that we have to learn how to deal with. Maybe you uh, have some of these things in your life and in your heart. In fact, if you're breathing right now, you have some of these things in your life and in your heart. And they exist because of a broken relationship that you have a hurt that you've been on the receiving end of, pain that you've experienced, unexpected difficulty that turned your life into turmoil, usually because somebody else either did something or didn't do something. And so you carry this with you. And when we think about what we have, what we want to do, well, it's the last verse in this passage. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians 4.32, just two verses later. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So if you want to move from here to here, well, just a few thoughts about that. It doesn't happen overnight, does it? It happens over and over and over again. You know Why? because we get offended over and over and over again. And so what you deal with and fix on Monday, something else is going to happen on Tuesday. And so you learn to continually, every day, in one way or another, move this direction to have these feelings, kind and compassionate feelings. It means that you're aware of what's in your heart. It means that you understand that you are moving in a direction towards healing it takes conversations with people that you trust that see things in you that even you don't see. They can be a mirror to you and help you find your path. It means getting into a counselor's office so they can tell you because they'll tell you what's really up without fear for the relationship being broken. You paid to be there. And so they'll tell you things that even people who love you won't tell you. 
It means that you will relentlessly pursue all of these things that are in your life, understanding that they never just go away. They have to be dealt with and addressed, churned up, and then you can move to being kind and compassionate to one another. This passage that we're looking at in Ephesians, these eight verses, you've heard this before. Paul says this, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. You've heard this before? Put your hand up if you've heard this verse, okay? So Paul quotes it. When we first got married, we were told, here's what this means. I bet you were told the same thing. Here's what this means. Uh, Settle your argument before you go to sleep. How many of you were told that's what it means? Let me see your hands. Come on, be honest. This is what we thought it meant. Settle your argument before you go to sleep. I don't know why we were told this. It doesn't make any sense at all. Because usually by the time we're arguing, the sun has already gone down. Right? So what this means is you're going to keep fighting while both of you are so bone-weary tired, you're going to say eight things you don't mean. But the Bible says, don't let the sun go down in your anger, which has nothing to do with fighting at midnight at all. Do you understand that? And so if you're married and you've been married for, I don't know, five years maybe, at some point you said, oh, forget about it. We're just going to go sleep and deal with this tomorrow. We're too tired. And then you woke up the next day and you didn't want to say the things you thought you were going to say that night before. Or maybe you said you're sorry for what you said. I can't believe I said that. I must have been just drunk with tiredness. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry doesn't mean that at all. What it means is pay attention to what's going on and and get after it. Don't let it sit. Look, while the sun's up, which means you're breathing, it doesn't mean literally the sun is up, it means you have work to do. And work to do means I'm going to pay attention to my anger or my passive aggressive nature, or I'm going to pay attention to the way I treat other people or the things that I say in hoping to silently judge others. I'm going to deal with the unforgiveness. I'm going to deal with the bitterness in my heart. I'm going to give up slander altogether. I'm going to find the source of this malice. I'm not going to let the sun go down while I'm still angry. What that means is just deal with your stuff, own it, and work through it. And you won't be done by Wednesday. Or next month. Or by summer. As it turns out, life on this earth means that you will deal with this process over and over again. The sooner you get better at it, the more kind and compassionate you'll be. Here's what Jesus said. Always makes it better when you understand the words of Jesus. He said it this way. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, right? That's what the mouth speaks. In fact, your heart accumulates all of this, gets stirred up, makes for a great compost, right? But if you don't deal with it, if you don't process it, if you don't pull it out, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't diagnose it, if you don't get some help along the way, then it's gonna just rot and get putrefied and smell just like your compost bin, And then you're going to say things that you shouldn't say. And this is going to happen every day. How do you keep from doing that? Well, I'm going to work through this, deal with it, so that I can be kind and compassionate to somebody else. So that the words I say are meaningful to other people. 
Here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try not let any bad, useless, unhelpful words come out of my mouth. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to speak what is helpful for what? Say these three words with me. Building others up. Say it again. Building others up. The picture that Paul writes here is that there's an individual who's slumped, whose shoulders are rounded, who doesn't have much of a life, and you take their life and you build them up. You were made in God's image. You and God may, you may feel like you don't have much in common, but you were made in his image. So you remember what happened in Genesis 1 before there was anything, before the world was formless and void, right? God wanted light. And so what did he do? What did he do? He said, let there be light. So he spoke and then it was there. You've done this with people before. You have spoken into their life in such a way that the words that came out of your mouth helped them to see that they're made in God's image in a way that they didn't even know. I see you when you're with people. You're a good listener. And their shoulders snip up. I watch you while you're playing music. I watch you while you're with our neighbors. You're taking an interest in them. They feel important when they talk with you. It's God's image. I watch you as you create. I've never seen anybody create like you. I watch while you do math or form the budget, you name it. And as you call out the image of God in people, as you show them what a mirror of who God is in them, made in the image of God with your words, you call it into existence. It's what our teachers do every day. It's what people who love you do every day. They see you. They call it out, and it creates God in you. Does that sound dramatic to you? Do you think I'm overstating it? It happened to you, and you do it to other people. It's exactly what words were meant for. You've got a, a card there. And I want you to just take a moment. Josh is going to come up. He's going to play while we kind of ponder this. We're just going to take a minute. And uh, we're going to sing a song as we wrap up because God's words about us matter the most. And so here's what I want you to do. If you have a phone, you can make some notes. If you have a card near you or a pen, then you can make some notes. I just want you to just spend a little time praying and thinking about a few questions I'll ask you to ponder and think about as we wrap this up. We're going to ask these questions around this idea. We want to speak words only what is helpful for building others up. And all of us, we have our life that is built in relationship. We have people in relationships with us. We have people that we interact with. We have people in our family. All of these things are a part of who we are and where we are. So I'm just going to ask you to pray. You can pray with your eyes open. God, here's those two. I want you to just ponder and think. I'm going to ask you four very specific questions. And let's just see if God's Spirit leads you down a path to think about a relationship or a person that you might need to deal with or speak some words to. We're going to do so prayerfully and thoughtfully. We're going to ask God to meet us in this moment, and then we'll end with this anthem that Joshua lead us through about who we are. And so, Lord, we ask in this moment as a church body, those in this room and those online, as we listen to your voice and to your spirit, that you would call to mind people who need some words some words from us, words that are helpful for building up, not unwholesome, not unuseful, not words that will be thrown out or discarded or forgotten. 
So Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you speak to us? We incline our ears towards you. So here's the first question. Who do you know that needs some encouragement to keep going? Who do you know that you feel like might be on the verge of saying, ah, forget it? Who needs some encouragement to keep going? Spirit won't work uh, in a straight line. Just jot down what you need to, names as they come to mind. Who do you need to offer forgiveness to? Who do you need to forgive? Now, pray about that. Be careful with this one. For some of you, it's going to be a conversation because it's well known between the two of you that forgiveness is needed and you've been withholding it. That's good. A conversation is good. For some of you, it means you alone letting it go and laying it down and not holding someone else in debt to you. And maybe the offense isn't even known. Maybe they are completely unaware and a conversation would be very hurtful about it. So you just need to lay it down. We'll make some mistakes in getting this done. God will lead us. and God's grace will cover us. What matters most is that you move forward with love. Who do you need to offer forgiveness to? Who do you need to forgive? worthless words do you need to own? What worthless, unhelpful, unwholesome words do you need to own? And that comes with an apology. And you know what? The other day I said, I shouldn't have said that. Apologies, heartfelt things are best said face to face, voice to voice. But absent of those possibilities, they're best said at all. So however you need to say it, type it, write it. What worthless, unhelpful, unwholesome words did you speak lately that you need to own and apologize for? some thought what do you see in someone else that they probably don't see what quality ability 
unique attribute of how God made them? What do you see in someone else that you need to say out loud to them? This is what I see in you. This is how you bear the image of God. Use your words, of course, but of course what you're saying is, I see it. I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it out. And just like when God said, let there be light, sometimes you speak into existence someone's future. Grace and mercy, a vision for who God made them to be. This is why we're in relationship with each other. Lord, these questions, they're designed to draw us towards other people with kindness and compassion and love and mercy. Lord, help us to make a move in that direction. But Lord, there are some listening right now in this room. There's some listening online at home that have no idea how deep and wide your love is for them. We can only give what we have received. And so, Lord, as we close the service with these lyrics, we believe the truth about us from your words, from your logos in Scripture. And we declare this truth, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we belong to you and you alone. We are exactly who you say we are.